Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. We are continuing our series of teachings entitled Enlarging Our Capacity of Reception. Enlarging Our Capacity of Receiving from God. This morning we're doing part three of the series. If you were not in church the last two Sundays, you may obtain the last two teachings on our podcast so that you are informed of what we're teaching on currently. The foundational scripture for our series is taken from Isaiah chapter 54. We're going to read that again, verses 2 and 3. Can we have that on the board, please? Isaiah 54, and I'm going to read it from the New King James Version, as well as the ERV, verse 2 and 3. This is God speaking to us through the prophet, and he says, Enlarge the place of your tent, and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare, lengthen your cords, and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. In the ERV, it reads this way, Make your tent bigger. Open your doors wide. Don't think small. Make your tent large and strong because you will grow in all directions. Your children will take over many nations and live in the cities that were destroyed. Let me make this statement. If we are not living in the fullness of the blessing of God and enjoying all of the benefits that Christ's death has purchased for us, I believe we need to take a closer look at our ability of receiving from Him rather than His willingness to give. Sometimes we put the blame on God and He's not to be blamed. The problem is never with God giving. The problem is always with us being able to receive what He gives and what he has already given. So, God has already given to us, and in fact to all of humanity, all he's ever going to give. He has already given. How do we know that? Romans chapter 8, verse 32 tells us that. Remember that God's word is God speaking to you and to me. Amen? 
When you read the Word of God, it is God speaking to you. And what has he said? In Romans 8.32 tells us, He, that is God, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Did you read that? Read it again. He, that is God, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. That's past tense. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? That tells me that together with Jesus, he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, but the problem has never been with God giving, but with us receiving. So if we are not walking in the fullness of the blessing of God, then we need to check on our receiving end, not on the giving side. Amen? Are we clear on that? So, in the above verses of Scripture, we read in Isaiah 54, verse 2 and 3, God is encouraging us to enlarge our tents. What does that mean? Enlarge your capacity of reception. That's exactly what it means. He says, stretch the curtains of your dwellings and stop thinking small. He is challenging our perception of him, but also our capacity of reception. That's what this series of teachings is all about. What God is saying to you and I today, He's saying, I've given much more than what you are receiving, what you are already enjoying, what you are already experiencing in regard to the blessing. I have given much more than what you are actually walking in or enjoying at this present time. Because I have much more to show you, I have much more to give you, but you are going to have to do something for me. You're going to have to enlarge your ability and capacity to receive more of himself, more of his presence, more of his blessing, and more of his revelation knowledge. The question is, how much can you receive from God? That's the question we need to ask. How much can we receive from God? The exceeding greatness of God's power, we found out in the last two weeks, is at our disposal to go to work on our behalf. Why? Simply because we believe. Amen? If you are a believer... The Bible says that God's exceeding greatness of power stands ready to work on your behalf, on my behalf, simply because we believe. Amen? As I said last week, we can only receive what we make room for. You cannot receive what you have not made room or you, what you have not prepared to receive. Now, on this issue, let me take a side journey here and add some thoughts that will help us. God can only fill what is empty. In the natural, we know that. God can only fill what is empty. People who are full of themselves leave no room for God to work in their lives. 
That's the proud, the arrogant, the one who simply trusts in his own ability or in his own strength. Then he leaves no room for God to work. Amen? People who are full of themselves, that means full of their own ideas, their own opinions, trust in their own abilities, then leave no room for God to demonstrate His goodness toward them. Amen? Would you agree with that? So God looks for humble people because humble people make lots of room for God to work in their lives. They don't trust in their own strength or their own abilities because they know that they are limited, but they trust in God. Their faith and trust is in the Lord, not in themselves. Now, let me make a statement that I want you to write this down because this statement that I'm going to make encapsulates all that I have taught you in the last two Sundays, and it includes all that I'm going to teach you this morning. This is the statement, and I want you to put it up, please. If you're taking notes, write this statement down. The blessing of the Lord being demonstrated in my life and in your life is governed and regulated by my faith. Jesus said so. Remember what he said? According to what? According to your faith, be it done unto you. That means that the blessing of God, in order to manifest and demonstrate it in my life, hello, It is governed and regulated by my ability to believe. Now, my faith in God's Word is governed and regulated by my knowledge of who God is and what He has promised. Just as the blessing is governed by your faith, your faith is governed by the knowledge you have of God and His Word. That's how the system works. Let's go on. So in the last two Sundays, what have we learned? We learned that God blesses us. We learned that God empowers us, protects us, provides for us on the basis of what? Anybody? On the basis of what? Faith. On the basis of faith. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 tells you that. For by grace you have been saved through what? Through faith. And that not of yourselves, that is the faith, that is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So God blesses you, empowers you, protects you, provides for you on the basis of your faith. Praise God for that. So the principle that governs, I'm saying that again so you can get it, the blessing or the release of the blessing of the Lord is called faith. Today, we're going to look at another important value in relation to our faith. And that is the value of knowledge. The value of knowledge and the role it plays 
where your and my faith is concerned. So this part three is entitled, The Value of Knowledge. The last two teachings were entitled, The Principle of Believing, part one and part two. Today, we're doing part three, entitled, The Value of Knowledge. Now, before we get into this, the value of knowledge and what it entails and what, what its role is in regard to our believing God, I want to emphasize the fact that much has been lost from the Christian community and much has been stolen from us as a result of not knowing how to fight the good fight of faith or being unwilling to stand for what we believe. And let me explain that. The principle of believing involves much more than just passively agreeing with what the Word of God says. It entails much more than that. When opposed, faith, when opposed by contradictory circumstances or tempted by the evil one, it goes into battle and takes a stand of resistance. Do you understand that? If you say you believe in a certain promise of God, and that promise is being challenged or resisted by contradictory circumstances, if you really do believe, then when you are being opposed in that area of your faith, you are standing strong, resisting what contradicts your faith. Now, listen to what Peter says. I'm teaching you something now. Much can be lost in your life, in my life, if we do not know how to use our spiritual weapons and fight the good fight of faith. The life of faith is not... It, it, it's not as easy as some people think. It involves resisting the enemy, it involves standing for what you believe, and it involves a good fight. Why is it a good fight? Because we win it. Faith has never lost a battle. To this day, faith has always conquered and will always conquer. Faith has never lost a single battle. If you and I are in faith and walk by faith, we will always be conquerors, no matter what comes against us. Amen? That's why this teaching is so important for you to understand the principles that govern faith. Now, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, Be sober, be vigilant. He's talking to you and I. Why? Why must we be vigilant and sober? Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. How? How do you resist the devil? How do you resist contradictory circumstances? By being steadfast in the faith. That's how you resist him. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. 
The way you and I resist the devil or any other force that comes against us is through resistance. Being steadfast in what we believe and not changing our confession of faith or changing our stands of faith. Our faith in God's Word will always be tested. You know why? In order to prove that it is genuine. If your faith is not worth being tested, it's not faith at all. Only genuine faith is being tested and tried. Peter, again, listen to what he says in regard to this, to this principle that I'm teaching you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. The genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? So just as gold is being tested and purified through fire, even so our faith in God's promises will always be tested and tried. How? By various trials and tests. Amen? And this is where many believers fail to stand strong when tested in what they believe. It's easy to believe when you're not under pressure. Everybody can do that. When the pressure mounts against what we believe, it tells us what we really believe. Either we will give in and walk away from the promise, blame God, blame the preacher who preached it, blame everybody else, and say, it doesn't work for me. It works for you, but it doesn't work for me. Have you heard that before? Hello? Are you, are you here this morning? Okay. Are you learning something? Amen. Now, listen to what Paul instructed Timothy to do in relation to what I'm teaching you. First, I know I'm using a lot of scriptures, but I want to show you from the Bible what I'm teaching you. 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 18. First letter to Timothy, chapter 1, verse 18. He's writing to his spiritual son, Timothy, and he's giving him a specific instruction. And he's saying to him, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. What's he telling him to do? Take the promises that God has given you and wage a good warfare. In other words, fight for what you believe and stand your ground when you are being opposed. When you're being pushed. When you're being persecuted. When everything around you is screaming, it is not so. Stand your ground be firm in what you believe, be firm in your confession, and don't give in to pressure. The way you do that is by embracing the promises of God and using them against the pressure that comes against you. 
He says, wage a good warfare. That is why many of the promises of God are not materializing in our lives, even though God has promised us, because we are not willing to take those promises and wage a good warfare. We'd rather lie down and take a beating. Learning to stand when pressure mounts comes through the development of our faith. I'm saying that again. Learning to stand your ground when the pressure mounts against what you believe comes through the development or the maturing of our faith. Amen? So our faith needs to grow, needs to mature, needs to be fully developed. When you're fully developed in your faith, no matter what comes against you, you continue to stand your ground until you see the manifestation of that promise. Amen? When fully... When faith is fully developed in the promise of God, it can withstand any kind of pressure. A perfect example of what I'm sharing with you is recorded in the life of Abraham. Let's look at these verses of Scripture together. Abraham is called the father of our faith, and the Scripture encourages us to imitate these men of faith. Let's read, beginning with verse 17. As it is written, God is speaking to Abraham, saying, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope in hope believed, that he should become the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not stagger or he did not consider his own body, already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. That's genuine, tested, tried, and purified faith. Abraham's faith in God's promise of being a father of many nations was severely tested and tried. Every single day, he faced the reality of his aging process. <laughs> Every single day when he looked into the mirror, he saw how old he was. Amen? He saw the aging process in his wife, 90 years of age. His logic said it's impossible. His body said it's impossible. And his neighbors laughed at him. What would you do? God said, I have already made you a father of many nations. Here is 99. His wife is 90 years old. But the Bible says, notice what the Scripture says. Abraham was not weak in faith. That means he had a developed faith. His faith was strong, 
strong in God's promise, not in what he saw, not in what he felt, but in what God has said to him. Amen? And he did not waver the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded or convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. I have a question for us all. How did he get to that kind of faith? Wouldn't you like to have that kind of faith? That when God promises you something, no matter what your body tells you, no matter what you see, you continue to believe and declare what God said about you, what God said about your family, what God said about your future? Wouldn't you like to have such, such developed faith? I would. Well, my question is, how did Abraham get to that place where his faith was so fully developed and so matured and so strong that it would withstand all of these contradictory circumstances? What was his secret? Well, I'm going to answer that question with the Bible. Let's look at, before I do though, let's look at Timothy chapter 1 verse 12. And that verse will answer our question. You see, we must let the Bible answer our questions. Amen? Not go to our own reasoning and our own logic. Let the Bible interpret the Bible. How did Abraham reach a place of such a developed faith? Listen to what Paul said. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Writing to Timothy again, he says, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Did you get it? Let's read it from the Amplified Translation also. It's more clearer. And this is why I'm suffering as I do, speaking about his persecution. Still, I'm not ashamed, for I know, I perceive, I have knowledge of, and I am acquainted with him whom I have believed, adhered to, and trusted in, and relied on, and I am positively persuaded that he is able to guard and keep that which has been entrusted to me, and which I have committed to him until that day. Notice the secret of Paul's developed and mature faith. He said, I know. I know in whom I have believed. I know in whom I have believed. And I am fully persuaded or convinced. Why? Because I know. He knew certain things. What did he know? He knew that God cannot lie. He was absolutely convinced that God cannot lie, and he was absolutely persuaded and convinced that God is able to perform what he promised. So we come to this conclusion. How do you reach, how do you reach a faith that is fully developed? Through knowledge. Through knowledge. Knowledge of who God is 
and knowledge of what he has promised. Hallelujah. They knew God, both Abraham and Paul knew God on a personal level. They were intimately acquainted with him and with his word. They didn't just know God in the head. They didn't know about God. They knew him. They walked with him. They fellowshiped with him. They had intimacy with him. And this knowledge helped to develop their faith. And the same knowledge will help develop your and my faith. Now we come back to that statement. The release of the blessing of the Lord in your life and in my life is governed and regulated by my faith. And my faith is governed and regulated by the knowledge I have of who God is and what he has promised me. Amen? Amen? So we come to this conclusion. Develop faith, write that in your notes, is the result of knowledge. Developed faith is the result of knowledge. The foundation upon which our faith in God rests is the knowledge of who God is and what he has promised us in his word. Faith rises in our hearts when knowledge is present. You don't have to struggle to believe. Amen? You don't have to try to believe. Faith is natural when knowledge is present. When you know certain things, your faith rises up. Because you know. Now, there are two Greek words for know. One is gnosis. That's head knowledge. The other is epignosis. That's heart knowledge. The knowledge that the word is speaking about, I know in whom I have believed, is talking about revelation knowledge. It's talking about heart knowledge. There's a difference. Many profess to know God, but when you look at their lives, it shows something entirely different than what they profess. The knowledge they have does not aid or empower them to live the life that God expects us to live. Why? Because it's head knowledge and it's not heart knowledge. Amen? Believing, therefore, is a result of knowledge. You know, I've learned this from, from Kenneth E. Hagan at one of his encounters with God. He was arguing with the Lord as to why, even though he believed in his promise, as to why he was not receiving the manifestation of his healing. And he, he argued with God. He said, but Lord, I believe. Why am I not being healed? He relates his conversation with God in one of his teachings. When the Lord interrupts him and says to him, sure you believe as far as you know. Sure you believe. And you're convinced that you believe. But you can only believe as far as you know. There is so much more that you still do not know. And then, in his teaching, 
He relates and he testifies how revelation knowledge flooded his mind concerning this principle that I'm sharing with you now. Our believing God can only go as far as our knowledge of him goes. In other words, you cannot believe beyond the knowledge that you have of God and of his word. In fact, it's not lack of faith we suffer from. Do you know what we struggle with? When you find it difficult to believe, it's not lack of faith that you struggle with. It's lack of knowledge. Hello? In Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, let's read it together and see what God says. My people are destroyed for lack of faith. No. What does it say? My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being a priest for me. There it is. So when you find it difficult to believe a certain promise, when pressure mounts against you and you give up, then you need to increase the level of knowledge you have concerning that area of your life. Hello? If you're struggling physically, if you're struggling financially, if you're struggling in your marriage, I am convinced that many, many marriages have no idea, both partners, what it takes to make a good marriage. They lack the wisdom, they lack the understanding and the knowledge of what it takes to live with your spouse in a manner that is acceptable to God. Hello? So if you're struggling in that area, what do you need to do? I recall many years ago, when I had my first child, I didn't know how to be a father. I was not, my father wasn't present when I was growing up. So I had this burning desire that I wanted to raise my children according to Christ's principles. But I was ignorant. So what did I do? I searched. I went into the Christian bookshop and I searched to find something that will help me grow in knowledge concerning parenthood. Hello? I gained knowledge. And when I gained knowledge, I knew how to raise my children. Hello? So check yourself. Which is the area that you're struggling with? That's the area you need to gain knowledge. The Bible says wisdom is the principal thing. And it is through wisdom that a house is built. If you don't know how to build your house, how to build your marriage, how to build your finances, how to build and encourage your relationships, you are lacking wisdom in that area. And the Bible says if you seek and ask for wisdom, God will give you. Amen? But you need to do your own study. You need to do your own seeking, your own searching. Knowledge is, is free but is not cheap. Hello? I believe the greatest battles that are fought in the realm of the Spirit is over this one thing, revelation knowledge. Satan does his utmost 
to keep you ignorant and blind concerning what belongs to you and I. 2 Corinthians tells us that the God of this world blinds the minds of those who do not believe. Hello? They just can't see it. Their understanding is darkened. That is why upon us is the responsibility and the commission to do what? To preach the gospel because the gospel is light. And when light comes into an atmosphere, darkness flees. God said in the Old Covenant, I'm going to give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with what? Knowledge and understanding. Feed, no, feed you with hype. But knowledge and understanding. My primary responsibility is to feed you with knowledge and understanding. Because if you have knowledge from God, you will be successful in every sphere of your life. In your relationships, in your family, in your parenthood, in your finances. In every sphere of life, you will be successful and blessed. Why? Because you've acquired knowledge. Sometimes I wish I can just split the heads of people open and drop that knowledge in them. <laughs> Much easier that way. Unfortunately, we can't. Amen? Paul understood that. And that is why enlarging our capacity of reception will require what? A greater measure of revelation knowledge. And Paul the Apostle understood that very well. That is why in almost every prayer of his in the New Testament, he prays for that one thing. Let's look at it together. Listen to what he prays for. Ephesians 1 verse 16 and 17. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. He's praying for knowledge. Let's go on. Ephesians 3, 14 and 15, 18 and 19. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that you may be able to comprehend or understand with all the saints what is the width, the length, and depth, and height, and to know. To know what? Knowledge of the love of God. To know the love of God. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Again, he's praying for knowledge. One more, Colossians 1.9. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with what? The knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. There is a prayer that you should pray every day for you and for your loved ones. You don't need to pray for anything else. Just pray for knowledge. Once they gain knowledge, they will see certain things. And it's not your arguing with them that's going to make them see. 
So many times we try and argue with people to make them see our point of view or God's point of view. Stop it. Just pray that they may receive the spirit of wisdom and knowledge of Him. That will stop all arguments. Amen? It is evident, therefore, that knowledge, wisdom, and understanding carry tremendous value in the life of the believer. So what does that tell us? That the pursuit of knowledge should be our number one priority in life. Amen? I'm not talking academic knowledge will only take you so far. And academic knowledge, I hear sometimes politicians talk about, you know, education. Education will eradicate poverty. Education will eradicate all problems. Well, I'm sorry to say, education will solve some problems, but not all problems. It depends what kind of education you're talking about. Are you talking about academic education or are you talking about spiritual education? Amen? We need spiritual education. We need to be taught what God says, who God is. We need to be taught what God is like. Amen? Notice what Peter says, and I think we're going to close here. Notice what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in what? How is grace and peace multiplied to us? In the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Let's go on. As his divine power has given, us, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through what? Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Do you see that? Isn't that marvelous? Isn't that good news? Doesn't that create an appetite in your spirit to learn about God, about the promises of God, about what God has promised you? And not only that, but to stay in those promises until they become a reality, until our faith is developed. Amen? Next week, we're going to do a study concerning the path to knowledge. You see, the path to the knowledge of God has already been given to us. It's already there. Next week, we're going to learn how do you acquire this knowledge? How do you gain it? How do you grow in it? Where do you go? What do you do? You can't go out to the supermarket and buy a pound of knowledge. Can you? This kind of knowledge cannot be purchased with silver or gold, no matter how much money you got. It is free. Jesus has already purchased and stored up this knowledge, the Bible says, for the righteous. God does not hide knowledge from us, but He hides knowledge for us. Why? So the enemy doesn't find it and use it against you and destroy you. That is why the Bible says, if the princes of this world knew 
they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Knew what? Knew what would happen to them. They would not have crucified Jesus Christ. But they didn't know. And God set a trap for them. And that trap was hidden in the wisdom of God long before the earth or the ages began. Amen? So the knowledge that we're talking about is reserved and hidden for you, not from you, so that your enemies cannot get hold of it and use it against you. That is why Jesus said, do not throw your pearls to swine. Amen? And we should not open our mouths and reveal the treasures, the revelations that God gives us unless and until we know who we're speaking to. Amen? Because they can take what you give them, turn around and destroy you with it. Amen? I'm hungry for knowledge, the knowledge that comes from God. And I thank God that He has shown me the path to knowledge. I am here where I am today because of the measure of knowledge that God has blessed me with. And I want to impart that knowledge to you, and I want to show you how you get to it. I cannot do it for you. Your mom and dad cannot do it for you. Your husband cannot do it for you. Your wife cannot do it for you. You're going to have to search and seek and find it yourself. Don't be lazy. And from my experience, many believers are just lazy. They have time for everything else. But when it comes to studying the Word of God in order to gain knowledge, they don't have time for. Hello? Let's stand and conclude in prayer. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org. Dot ZA.